Good morning. Welcome to the Hustle Society Radio Show. I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And uh, our dear co-host, Tom Douglas, is in France. Yes, that is unbelievably true. Mr. Douglas goes on vacation in France, out of any place in the world he could choose. For some reason, I don't know why, but he goes to France on vacation. I think his beautiful daughter, Loretta, uh, had a vote in it. <laughs> yeah, children always will influence you. They win. So right now he's in the south of France. Boo. And um, good for him. Glad he's taking a vacation. My co-host today will be Pam Hinckley. Pam? Yes, happy to be here. So nice. Normally she directs behind the curtain, but today she's on stage. In the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> You're on stage. Uh, we have a big show today. Oh, by the way, if you want to watch us live on YouTube, you can do so by going to TomDouglas.com and click on the Hot Stove Society button, and you'll see us live every Friday morning, most Friday morning, it's when we tape the show. And we also have a live audience. You two can, can Handsome today. Break, in, break in some money, and uh, for a little fee, you just come in and have breakfast and coffee and... You, can, you two can be on the show. I want to do a shout out to the woman wearing the mushroom sweater because it is really something special. So I think we should have a dress code now, food-related apparel. Uh, it would be so I'm wonderful. I'm going to wrap myself in a giant crepe. <laughs> like that would work too. Look like a giant burrito. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. That would be hilarious. All right. <laughs> All right. We have a big show coming today. We're going to talk about corn as a pick of the season. We always have a theme and yes, corn is everywhere on the market right now. So we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with Tom, but we're going to talk about it again today. Just because it is at its full glory and after this, you should stop eating it. Well, there is a, like anything else. Everything has a beginning and an end. Mm -hmm. All you have to do, I tell people, all you have to do, go to the farmer's market. It will tell you what's available right here, right now. Very simple. And I guarantee you, when the farmer's market closed, there is no more strawberries. There are no more tomatoes. So <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't use canned tomato that you've made or good canned tomato or whatever. But it's just to, to have an idea of season is extremely important, I think, in people's life and in people's health, more importantly. Because if you buy in season, there's nothing they have to do to the vegetable to be there or the fruits. When you buy out of season, however... Well, we won't go into that. This is a, this is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it safe. All right. We're going to talk to a very acclaimed Korean chef, Chef G.I. Kim in um, Ann Harbor, Michigan. And she's going to tell us about a holiday, a Korean mid-autumn harvest festival called Shusiok. I hope I said it right. She's going to educate us. She will educate us about it. We're also going to talk about an article in the New York Times about the French uproar over barbecue and virility. Uh, couscous. We're going to talk a little bit about couscous. Because you and I love it so much, so I thought we could do it while Tom wasn't here. Here we go. And couscous is not a grain. I'm going to take that off the table right away. <laughs> Many people, oh, it's a grain. It's, no, it's not. It's a, it's a pasta, kind of. Um, we also invite questions from the audience. So some of you are going to be asking some questions to moi. And his Korean fried chicken recipe. She has a deadly killer chicken recipe that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. And then we'll finally close the show with um, playing Rob With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. 
with audience members. With the audience. So get your they questions. They look excited. I, I can tell. Get your questions ready. No, you're not the one asking the question. You're going to be answering the question. <laughs> we also have every week the taste of the week. So, Pam, you have declared that your taste of the week was... Ferrato. Ferrato. Uh, a friend was coming over. I had promised her risotto. Got to the cupboard. No rice. But I am a big fan of Italian farro that's been pearled, so it takes that rough husk off. And it can be treated the same way as the common varieties of rice um, used for risotto. I had a beautiful chicken stock that I had been working on. And I love this shoulder season because the market is already starting uh, to have some fall vegetables right. sneak in. So we had scored at the Ballard Farmer's Market Sunday first of the season chanterelles. Mm. So I did a hard roast on those in the oven. I wanted them crispy did you for the top of the risotto. Did you oil anything? Absolutely. Everything with oil. Oil, oil, oil salt, oil, pepper? Flake salt. That's it? Yep. Yep. And chicken st- started with, always start with an onion. in the ca- I did it all in the cast iron. Um, and then toasted the farro before I started the stock edition. Good show. Yep. And it, the, the crowning glory was some semi-dried tomatoes that Mike is selling now at Pike and Western that are oh. spectacular. What's your taste of the week? My taste of the week. I just went to Los Angeles. I went to a place called Japantown. If you ha- I don't know how many of you go to Los Angeles, but there's an area in West L.A. that's called Japantown, and it's on Sotel and basically between Pico and Santa Monica. And um, I had a fabulous time, but it's amazing to see. You know, I lived in L.A. for five years before I moved to Seattle, but that was 35 years ago. The amazing changes that have happened over there is pretty cool, and I hadn't been there. And uh, I went to a restaurant called Mempuku, and it's basically um, the grill, the abachi grill on the table outside, and uh, you bring your, you know, they bring, you order your food, and you grill it right in, on your table, you know, your little skewers or whatever you have, pair of, pair of uh, tongs to move your food around. So I had some Kobe beef and we had some oh. vegetables, um, some bok choy and some vegetables and some mushroom, bunch of mushrooms. Uh, we also did some shrimp. I also had a beef uh, noodle soup that was delicious. And I just wanted to mention Mambuku because they have a few in Los Angeles, but it's a style of like Tokyo grilling kind of outdoor i mean it's indoor when it's cold obviously but it's really i I really like that kind of food because it's very simple very everything is sliced pretty thin so you put it on the grill it cooks really fast you have the dipping sauce barbecue whatever you're doing with it it's very simple but it's really delicious and um i had a very good time there i took my mother-in-law to celebrate her 85th birthday we went to a few other places i'll talk about it later another mention augie restaurant on main street in santa monica it's a fairly new restaurant Grab and go mostly. Uh, you can sit in the place too. I had, it's a dear friend of mine, um, Josiah Citron, who has Melis, a two Michelin star restaurant Ooh in la la. Santa Monica. And uh, he opened that uh, very simple cafe kind of idea. I had a fried chicken sandwich. I mean, moi, eating a fried chicken sandwich is I'm like, surprised. Is like uh, some of you eating caviar or something. I don't know. It's like, it's a very foreign thing to me, but he made a delicious delicious fried chicken burger sandwich. It was absolutely delicious. The sauce was really beautiful, kind of like hot and spicy, but not too spicy. It was really absolutely fantastic. So 
Augie, A-U-G-I-E, on Main Street in uh, South Santa Monica, just before Venice. And uh, if you have trip. a trip. Yeah, it's worth a trip. Just stop in by and grab something to eat. So that's my taste of the week. Thank you very much. You are so welcome. Coming up next, we're going to talk about peak of the season, corn. So stay with us here on Cairo 97.3 FM. Okay, we are back in the kitchen of the Hot Stove Society. I'm Terry Rocciro, the chef in a hat. Co-hosting with me is Pam. Pamela. Oh, yeah. Hello. Happy to be here today. You look a little bit better than Tom for some reason. <laughs> We've got I, the same nutty hair, I, And though. you brought this gorgeous bouquet of flowers from I your know. garden. My yard is you. in good shape right now. I got bazillion of these babies in my backyard, too. I Kathy. love this uh, grass yeah. seed head. That's really nice. Very beautiful. Terry's uh, wife is a very talented florist. So if you need it, if you've got a special party coming up, I would call her. Oh, let me put a plug. Flower Works. <laughs> That's the name of the show. Um, name of the show of her business. Flower Works. I think it's flowerworks-seattle.com. I should know this. All right. I'm she's gonna... lovely and so are her bouquets. Well, she did all the flower at Rovers, Luc, Lulay, and she does a lot of homes and she still does the flower at the Grand Bistro in Kirkland. So if you want to see your arrangement, she's up there. All right, back to corn. Let's talk about corn. What's your favorite way to eat corn? Well, I mean, that's not fair because I think all of us like to eat many different ways to eat corn. But uh, this time of year, it's nice, it's tender, it's ripe. And it's the last hurrah to get that kind of corn. So first of all, white or, or yellow, it doesn't matter. I, uh, I love them both. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's more the ripeness, I think, that it's been picked at the right time. Right. So it's got some sweetness. But this year, what was new for me was understanding that you could take it right off the cob and go into your skillet to caramelize it. Right. Because uh, I, I grew up boiling, just boiling, boiling. But now you get a whole nother level of flavor and, and no oil. No. I've been doing it dry. Yeah. Is that you what can, you would recommend? I would recommend, well, I, you can do it either way or, but I would recommend also putting rub on it. You know, you take the veg rub from, uh, from Rub With Love and you rub the corn in that and you put it in the oven at about 375 and you just put it in there for about 10 minutes. So it's going to seal everything together. Then you take that, saute it in some butter. I was hoping there was going to be butter. Saute it in some butter at some point. with a little bit of onion. You take the onions, butter, you sweat the whole thing up, you add the corn back to that, and then you make a wonderful corn chowder. Oh, that is a good pro tip for prepping it for chowder. And then, and then the key of that is you've already taken the husk, I mean, not the husk, the, the cob, then you've taken the corn out of, and you've blanched those in milk. You take the, the, the cob, you know, you take it, you cut it in pieces, so then it fits in your pot. Not, you don't want them to be still whole, you want to cut them in pieces so you don't take as much liquid. You take those corn, you cover it with milk, you bring it to a boil and you cook it slowly into the milk. All the flavor from the corn is going to come out. It's going to flavor your milk and you use that for your corn chowder. Or a flan or... Or, or anything. But the point is you have corn plus corn equals <laughs> corn. <laughs> that is corny, isn't it? Uh-huh. There is a lot of flavor left in that husk, so there's just, lots. There's a lot of milk in there, a lot of uh, the cob. And yeah. the husk, so 
So it's a good but way. But using milk, I hadn't thought of. Well, if you're making a chowder, why not? Yeah. That's, you that's could use cream, start. you could milk, you could also use vegetable stock if you don't want to go into the dairy section and saute your onions and corn in olive oil. Then you'll have a vegan. Let's go on to salads. So I go love corn salad. Corn salad. So two ways. Number one, raw. I love raw corn when it's, it has to be the perfect corn. It has to be corn. perfect. Yeah, it has to be tender to the teeth and no skins, like chewing on skin. Cause that's, and that's what's coming up now. You're going to have corn that's going to be a little bit tougher as we move on. So you have to be careful with that. So make sure you pick your corn correctly. Just open the husk and, you know, check the, the, the corn, the kernel itself. Just peel it off. And then good technique to a little trick of the trade. When you do a corn on the cob and you want to take the corn off the cob, Take a big bowl, the biggest bowl you have in the house. Take a smaller bowl, inverted. Put your corn cob on there and go like this. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to stay in the bowl. Because when you try to <laughs> take the kernel off a corn with a knife on the it cutting bowl. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. You're going to be planting corn all over your kitchen. Now you tell me at the end of summer. I've been sweeping my <laughs> kitchen all summer. Corn everywhere. Well, that's a little trick of the trade that if you've never seen it or heard about it, and then they, the day you see it, you go, duh. Of course. It's like, of course. That's much simpler. That works for a lot of vegetables. When you're peeling vegetable, you know, sometimes you're doing zucchini, cucumber, where it goes everywhere on your counter. Same thing. Use a bowl. Take the biggest bowl you have so you can work around it. Smaller bowl in the center and then just go like this. It will stay in the bowl. Brilliant. All right. Uh, corn. So corn salad. Salad, uh, this time of year. It's one of my favorite time to grill because it's not too hot outside. It's not 95 degrees. You know, it's that middle of summer. So it's really fun to grill. And we have this harvest of vegetable. That's, you know, you go to the farmer's market and you go from all the squashes have started, zucchini, um, you know, the tomatoes are still in season. So you take half tomatoes and you grill them. You take the zucchini, you, you know, hide them lengthwise and you grill them to salt, pepper, do whatever you want on top of that for seasoning. But salt, pepper, and a little bit of olive oil, no flame. Just move everything on the side, the coal on the side, mm. or turn on your, your, your barbecue, your gas barbecue to the highest point, and then turn off the middle, then grill, sear. You're trying to get some searing. That's all you're trying to do, right? So do that in the center. Onions are in beautiful shape. Uh, I mean, you, you can grill just about anything. And, of course, corn on the cob, you can just do corn on the cob grilled, and then you can take the corns off to put into your salad. So you could do something like a ratatouille with corn, ratatouille, zucchini, onion, um, eggplant, peppers, tomato, and then corn. You could do, my, one of my favorite salads of all time is raw corn and blueberry, but I've talked about it on the show many times, and, and onion. You know, and, and, Tom uh, likes to remind us he has a recipe. In his yes, I stole it from him. Oh, just, good. You're giving him credit today when he's I am, not here. I am. That's I'm giving him credit. I've always given him credit for that. It's one thing I stole from Tom Douglas. <laughs> I just made it better. Oh, oh, live from Seattle. The truth comes out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I just I put my own twist to it a little bit. Well, I just made it this week, and it's got a lemon vinaigrette that really pops up the corn and blueberry together. And in Tom's recipe, it's arugula and basil. Yeah. And what did you do to make it so better? So me, it's white onion, white vinegar. Olive oil, salt, pepper, lots of basil, a little bit of tarragon. Of course. And then corn and blueberry. Yeah. I think the tarragon is smart. You know, if you put a little bit of tarragon with basil, what it does is it basically 
And then the basil, because basil has been a little bit weak for me this year. Me too. I had a lot of basil, but it was a little bit weak. So putting a few leaves of tarragon in your basil will enhance the flavor of that minty family kind of idea of what you're looking for. So just that for that. What else? So the corn, once it's grilled, you can do just about anything. And when you turn on your grill, make sure you grill as much corn as you can, because corn that's already grilled does not go bad. You know, you put it in your refrigerator, especially if you're going to take it off the kernel, I mean, off the, the kernel, off the cob. You're going to have this bowl of roasted corn or grilled corn into your refrigerator. And from that, you can do just about anything. You could make a pasta. You boil some water, you cook some pasta, saute some mushroom, add your corn, put that on top of a it pasta with a little grated parmesan. But it's so good with pasta. Oh, yeah. Oh, so absolutely. Good. It's delicious with fresh pasta. Yeah. Very, very, especially with mushroom, because you get that nutty flavor, that sweetness. Everything gets added together. A little dash of red wine vinegar at the end when you finish to saute. So you have a little acid in there. Put all that on top of your um, pasta. You'll have a wonderful, maybe some sauteed arugula. We are talking about arugula earlier. Saute some arugula. So you have green, you have sweet, you have mushroom, woodsy mushroom. That would be together. so attractive. Yeah. It's a, it makes for a good pasta. And then a little grated parmesan on top. You're home. Just I'm going to do a final shout out. My best salad combo was with avocado and feta and ah. corn. I love the saltiness of feta. And so then you don't have to salt your corn. Right. Um, Is it real or just? No, no. Raw. Raw. <coughs> wow, I'm going to try that. Yeah. <clears throat> feta and corn. Yep. Cool. That sounds delicious. With the avocado. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk to... Um, food and Wine magazine named Ji I hope I'm saying her name right. Ji Hai, one of the best new chefs in 2021. And she's on a mission to broaden the understanding of Korean cooking. So we're going to learn all about it when we come back here on Cairo 97.3 FM. Stay with us. We are back in the kitchen at the Hot Stuff Society. All right, our guest today, her name is Ja Kim, and she's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She has a restaurant called Miss Kim, and she's very, very famous. Please welcome to the show, Ja. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah. Hey, you got it. Ja, okay, beautiful. I, w- I want to make sure I say your name right, because uh, my, <laughs> my name is Thierry, and nobody can say it right. Yeah. So uh, I, know ex- I know exactly how that goes, so... Yeah, you and I are on the same boat in that way. <laughs> so, um, Pamela was looking through, where did you find this? Food and Wine magazine? She has an excellent publicist that contacted us oh. and told us about the accolades that she received from Food and Wine magazine. And I actually have looked at some of her recipes and can't wait to dig in. I know. What I was very interested in is the fact that number one, Korean food is, you know, in Seattle, we're very privileged to have quite a few restaurants, uh, Korean restaurants. But, you know, in many parts of the country, it's not quite as popular. And I'm glad that somebody's taking the rein, like you, to uh, bring us to the forefront, or bring it to the forefront, I should say. And, uh, but one interesting part was you're celebrating something this weekend, am I right? Yes, this weekend, like the entire weekend, is a huge holiday for Korean folks, uh, especially in Korea, but also for Korean Americans here. It's called Chuseok. It's a, a mid-autumn harvest festival. So what does that entail? What do you do to celebrate that weekend? 
traditionally, uh, Korea used to be and still is a little bit outside of major cities an agricultural uh, society. So it's a celebration of the harvest. And, you know, Korean holidays, agri- agricultural holidays are tied to the moon. So it's also a celebration of the biggest, most beautiful moon of the year yeah. <laughs> in September. Yeah. And uh, there is a lot of food involved and the village people coming together. They have to come together for the harvest, but it's also a piece of abundance. So there's a lot of cooking and eating together. So is it like giant tables in the middle of the farm and everybody eats together? Yeah, it's a giant table that everybody uh, does sort of a communal eating. And it's also cooking all day. So I remember everybody sitting around making songtan, which is a, a sort of a stuffed rice cake that's steamed. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, my uh, my mother and my auntie baking chan, which is like a little pan-fried goodie. So it could be pan-fried vegetable, it could be pan-fried fish uh, that's usually battered in some way. So, yeah. Uh, and then uh, I want to share one more dish with you. So uh, another quintessential chisok dish is uh, beef and taro soup. And I learned that taro is really good for digestion. So my ancestors trying to if you're just for eating lots and lots of food during the holiday. That sounds delicious. <laughs> beef, <laughs> say, say it again, beef and what? Taro. Taro. Taro, Taro? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that sounds delicious. I'm surprised that, uh, that to learn about the digestibility of it. That is ex- uh, unknown to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That was big in the 60s, yeah. 70s, I think. And what yeah, about... Yeah, you know, food is medicine, so... Yeah. I'm with you. So what else, what else do you, um, so it's harvest time. So what, what vegetable, for example, do you harvest? Well, I think it's a time to harvest like all the summer vegetables. So the climate in Korea is probably similar to Michigan or, right. or New York. Yeah, so very clear four seasons. They're harvesting all the summer vegetables, but more importantly, they're, they're getting ready to harvest uh, rice. Mm. So, so that's why the rice cake uh, uh, shows up prominently because rice cake is actually, uh, it takes a lot of resources and labor. And this is one season that you can sort of freely make rice cakes uh, more easily because all the new rice is coming up and there is an abundance of it. So is there a difference between new rice and older rice? Yeah, there's difference between uh, new rice and old rice. The similar way that there is a difference between... Uh, new harvest and old harvest of olive oil. Um, oh. So it, it, every culture is a little different. So some cultures uh, really treasure uh, properly aged rice, like I think jasmine rice, for example, or basmati rice. But for Korean folks, um, it's almost like a, a fresh ingredient or fresh grain. So new rice is a, a more treasured than a older rice. So does it cook faster? Is it more tender? I mean... It- I would, for some reason, the first thing that comes to my mind is fresh rice would be much more tender and cook much faster. Is that true? Yeah, I would say that's true. I think it's more that like the subtlety of the flavors are uh, more present. Uh huh. But rice is good. Rice is good no matter what. I think it's. Uh... <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with you on that. Yeah, rice is like life. But I think it's also that like there's so much of it because you just went to the harvest. Yeah, I, this weekend I was in Los Angeles all this week. And I had a garlic rice, sticky rice. That was probably one of the best oh, garlic yum. sticky rice I've ever had in my life. It had, the, you know, underneath, it was the perfect crust, that little burn. It wasn't dry. It was a moist crust. I don't know how they did it, 
but it was perfect. And the garlic flavor was I, exactly how it should be, or at least what I like. It was unbelievable. That sounds delicious. Delicious. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a simple dish, but it's one of those simple dishes I think can you find many different versions of in many restaurants. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, but when it's, when it's right, it's so incredible. So going, tell us a little bit more about your restaurant in Ann Arbor. It's called, yeah. it's called Miss so, Kim. Yes, my restaurant is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, right at the heart of the University of Michigan and all the Wolverine football. And uh, it's called Miss Kim. Uh-huh. It's pretty close to the campus. campus. Um, we do, uh, we do like what I like to call Michigan Korean. So a lot of the dishes are inspired by the Korean traditions and my ancestors and and I look into that a lot but I also have very close relationship with Michigan farmers because we have some of the best farmers and, and beautiful vegetables and, and you know if you're here and especially for a season like this you want to take advantage of it so you marry those two together and and come up with something that's a little more unique Sounds delicious so what are you going to do this weekend to celebrate uh, Chuseok? So this weekend we have couple uh, couple uh, uh, specials on the menu. So beef and taro soup is going to make it on the menu. I'm going to try my best to put japchae on the menu, uh-huh. which is uh, sort of like a glass noodles with vegetables. And I personally will make some jeon, which is the battered pancake, whether that's a, a zucchini or chai for seafood. And then I'm going to look at the moon because it's about <laughs> the harvest moon and celebration of it. And you're going to play Neil Young uh, Harvest Moon song at the same time. <laughs> do you know that? Uh, maybe, yes, I do. I do know. But maybe for music, we'll play something else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, our guest has been um, Jaya Kim. Jihae. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I knew I was going to mess it up somewhere. Jihae okay. Kim okay. from Miss Kim in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, we wish you all the best of luck in your enterprise. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show with us and educating us a little bit about Korean food and Korean tradition. We appreciate that very much and all the best of luck. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. All right. All the best. Thank you. See all you right. later. Coming up thank next, you. we're going to talk about a Green Party politician in France told men to get over meat and masculinity for the sake of the planet setting off a sizzling argument coming up next on Hot Stuff Society radio show on Cairo 97.3 FM we are back in the kitchen at the Hot Stuff Society in case you don't know we are located at the Hotel Andra corner of 4th and Virginia uh, 4th and uh, yeah 4th and Virginia yes for some reason I thought that was on wrong address Right across the street from the Dahlia Bakery and of a, uh, Tom's Famous Pizza. Serious pie right across the street. Exactly. And, and uh, Lola at the corner downstairs. And uh, we are here at the Hot Society, which is, to me, I've been around the world in cooking school and cooking classes. And, um, and I think this is one of the hottest, best cooking class ever. Thank you. It's a great spot and it feels so at home when you're here trying to learn how to cook or even just bring a party with your family or, or member of your office or whatever. It's totally cool to be here, and it feels really, really comfortable. Last night, we had a group of financial planners, and uh, they, 
chose our salmon and all the fixings menu. So the, the traditionally we break them up into pods, and each group does a different item for uh, the din- the completed dinner. And they were so blown away that it came out so delicious, even though they made it. Sean, wasn't it? Uh, they were perfect last night. And it was so interesting because it's people that hadn't ever been together in person that just knew each other over Zoom for the last two years. So to be able to cook and eat together and sit down in community... It's really I nice. I must say, it tastes a lot better when you're actually in it versus in Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can smell it, you can touch it, and you can eat it. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. <clears throat> All right. We're going to be uh, talking about a segment you found in the, in the New York Times, I believe, about a big, big thing going on in France, a big topic. This lady, Sandrine Rousseau, who's a member of the parliament, she's actually the head of the uh, uh, Green Party in France. She came up with a, a saying and, a, and a, uh, or with something saying that, um, what is that exact saying here? Um, we she's... have to change our mentality. So eating a barbecue entrecote is no longer a sign of virility. She wants French men to stop eating so much meat. She did definitely save the French planet. Men. So strangely enough, I mean, okay, so... This lady is making the statement. Strangely enough, everybody across the board, no matter what party, every man went like in uproar. Like, how dare you touch the entrecote? You know, the barbecue, the blah, blah, blah. And it was like, what's going on here? Why is it such a big deal? Number one, moderation in everything should be where everything starts, right? Or at least that's my belief. And that's Julia Child's belief too. Everything in moderation. So, that's what the, so my concept would be, we don't have to stop eating necessarily entrecote, but we don't need to eat it at every meal. And we also can't have the whole country eating entrecote. So we need to balance up our society and balance up our meals. Other than that, I mean, yes, it would be great if we didn't have to raise cows and sheep and any animals that requires and emit a lot of gases because we know now that it's bad for the planet, whatever. Same with people. I mean, let's start with us. We, we need to be the example of the planet as far as I'm concerned. So, well, she was very taken aback at how the country uh, erupted. In well, the men. The, ma- the men. There was not many uh, women that came forward and said <laughs> no to that. But there was all the men, you know, every party across the board. For some reason, they got together this time. And all agreed on one thing. Don't touch my stick. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, an entrecote is like a, a primary steak, uh, uh, ribeye steak. That's what it is. And in France, so you've seen it probably if you've been to France, anywhere in France, in cafes or bistros. It's a very uh, common steak frit. can be done with many different cuts. But the entrecote is actually usually served with a beurre maître d'hôtel, which is compound butter with... I mean, butter that you mix with fresh herbs, parsley, um, garlic, salt, pepper, and you slice it and you put it on top of your entrecote as soon as it comes off the grill so that butter melts right on top of your steak. And you have that with frites, French fries. So it's a very, very... I want that. Oh, <laughs> right now it sounds delicious, especially when you start going into Charolais, <coughs> Charolais which is a type of beef we have in France. It makes some pretty darn good steak. Is so, it highly marbled? Uh, no. I mean, it's, yes, it's marbled, but not, not like Kobe beef or anything like this. It's, not, it's marbled, but not to the point where it's over-marbled or more marbled. It's, 
just like a good, a good ribeye steak, a very good ribeye steak. Who doesn't like that? I mean, once in a blue moon, it's a great treat. But again, this whole conversation came upon somebody who's saying, stop eating beef. So much meat. So much meat. You know, so, so the planet can be, obviously she's from the Green Party, so, you know, it's all about that. But the fact that everybody has came in uproar is a little bit, it's so French. Her retort was, if you want to resolve the climate crisis, you have to reduce meat consumption. And that is not going to happen so long as masculinity is constructed around meat. But their argument got even more heated because a member of the Communist Party, uh, the secretary general, uh, came back and said, Meat consumption, this is so good, <laughs> is a function of what you have in your wallet, not in your panties or your underpants. <laughs> so making it more of a classist issue instead of a sexist issue, which I think... Puts well, a I mean, it is true that it. a ribeye steak is expensive. It's, not, it's yes. not a cheap piece of meat. That's what, to me, I think it's a treat. You know, it's not something you eat every day. Unless you can afford it and you want some, you know, and then if you can afford it, then yeah, it becomes an everyday. So uh, that is a good point. And it is definitely based on the wallet, for sure. But um, in France, and I don't know if it's true, but in the same article, they mention of 59% of the men eat more meat than women. It's not a man versus woman. It's just a, a frame of mind. You know, there are other things besides meat to eat. I'm 100% for that because I'm perfectly capable of coming up with another 100 items besides meat. Well, you were just in France before this uh, uproar started. Yeah. And were you already sensing that maybe the population is moving to a more, less meat-dependent diet? Well, I think, I, again, I think it goes back to that wallet story. I think that, you know, things are getting expensive and, you know, prices have risen and, you know, the whole global economy, you know, I mean, everything is, is rising in prices. So, yes, there is a change, slow change into that. And I also think that the awareness is strong, very strong in France in terms of constantly getting the Green Party and everybody else talking about climate change. And, and they see it. I mean, this summer was a hell for France. It was like the second worst summer ever in history, yeah. you know, in fires and all these different things that happened. So... People are aware, and France is not a big country. It's a very small country when you put it in context of the U.S. So, you know, they definitely have a lot of awareness in terms of what's going on on the planet. So, yes, things are changing slowly but surely. But I would still say that a good entrecote bordelaise with some French fries on the side. <clears throat> once a month. What? Oh, no, maybe not once a month, but at least a couple <laughs> times a year. <laughs> once a month. We're going 12 times a year now. That's a lot. No, but I mean, once in a blue moon. And... By the way, you go to France, what are you going to eat? You're going to eat an entrecote with frites in the cafe, with a glass of red wine, sitting on the, on the counter. Or yes, on please. A, sitting at the counter or sitting on the patio, you know, watching the people go by. I mean, that's, that's a tradition. Do you have a suggestion for people who are trying to reduce their meat consumption for another umami, satisfying center-of-the-plate experience? Well, there are many animals that are much smaller than um, cows, for example, or beef, and uh, that we don't use as much, like guinea fowl, like chicken, like duck, like, you know, other birds, for example, that don't use as much. And 
can yield some very delicious food, you know, and, and in many parts from the legs to the breast to the, you know, to the neck to whatever. I mean, there is many different parts. All it is is we need to diversify our diet. That's the biggest problem we have as human beings on this planet is we eat basically beef, chicken, pasta, and, you know, we eat the same thing over and over. So we need to diversify and expand on other things that are on the planet. Exactly. Word to the wise. <laughs> All right. Coming up in the next hour, what are we going to talk about the next hour, Pam? Korean fried chicken with Chef Annie. You and I are going to talk about how much we love couscous. And we have some really nice audience questions. All right. Stay with us on the break. Come back and see us in about 10 minutes. We're here on Carol 97.3 FM. Back in the kitchen. Thank you so much for staying with us. We're starting a second hour roaring out of the kitchen. We're at the Hot Stove Society in Hotel Andra, 4th and Virginia, downtown Seattle. And it's very lively this Friday morning. We're live on YouTube. TomDouglas.com. Click on YouTube and you'll see us live. All right, next we have Chef Annie coming up. Chef Annie is this wonderful chef that cooks here every day at the Hot Stove Society. She directs everyone. She made her breakfast this morning. How was breakfast? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Wonderful quiches, melons. Oh, great breakfast. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Welcome to the show. And then uh, we're going to talk to you about Korean fried chicken. Yes. So that's your specialty? That's not my specialty, but it is uh, something that is on the rise. On the rise. There yeah. are um, joints serving They're it joint popping just, up all yeah. over. Yeah. So like 10 years ago, let's say 10 or 12 years ago, there's only maybe one place that up north, like pretty up north, that, you know, serve Korean fried chicken. And not even many people know about it. Only Korean people know about it. And then uh, recently, you know, like Pok Pok, I don't know if you heard of yeah. them, but he opened up a joint in White Center and then he started... Having a few more places open up too, up on Capitol Hill. I don't know if there's another one that he's open, but after he started that that pock pock joint, and I think a lot of people kind of jump on the train to um, you know make Korean fried chicken more well known. Right. And so um, <clears throat> when I was uh, talking to one of our cooks yesterday, he eats a lot up on Capitol Hill, which I don't anymore. I have a kid, so I go to bed at eight o'clock. <laughs> Capitol Hill is for young people, not for, you know, a young mother. It. And and then when I look at you, I'm looking at the, you look like a 12 year old. I'm like, <laughs> like, young people, I'm like, what's young I, anymore yeah. if you're not young? <laughs> you're ancient. <laughs> Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. yeah. You know, the pyramids were not there when I started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he was like telling me like, oh, do you know this joint up on, you know, Korean fried chicken on up on the Capitol Hill, which I was like, no, I don't. And so for him who is not in the food industry that long and know about, you know, Korean fried chicken. So that's, to me, it is something on the rise and more people know about it now and a lot more people are excited to try it. Or the things like people really fear of frying chicken at home or frying anything, um, period. So I feel like this class has had an opportunity for them to learn it. And if they do want to venture out and try it, uh, they can. I do want to give the credit to Chef Kenji. I'm stealing his recipe. Kenji Lopez? Yes. 
um, I did a lot of research on Korean fried chicken because it's a little bit different than Southern fried chicken, where the the shell on the outside is supposed to be like glass. It's like really thin and super super crispy, and it's a batter, not a dredge. Um, and it's supposed to be almost like when you bite into it, it's like you biting into glass. Not really? like it won't hurt your mouth or anything, right, right, but right, it's right. just like that crispiness. Like a hot caramel. Yeah, it's like super crispy but super light. Um, and his recipe is that uh, I don't know. If he wrote this called foolproof um, pie dough in the past for America Test Kitchen, uh-huh. and he used vodka. Um, and that helps. So when you bake it, the vodka has such a high percentage of alcohol, it evaporates immediately. So it leaves you this super crusty mm. uh, crust. So it le- leaves those layers, you know, rather than using water because water doesn't evaporate uh, fast enough. So what oh. it does is absorb back into the gluten. So he kind of used that same method into this fried chicken batter thing. So when you, it hits the fryer, that evaporates but he uses both, like half water and half vodka. So there's still somewhat moisture in there to right. hold the gluten together, but uh, not enough where it will become gooey. But it leaves it this super crispy crust on the outside. The so, science is oh, what absolutely. we all have to thank Kenji for. Yeah. That he's taking us to that next level of why the recipe yeah. works. Yeah, and like the pH level, um, like different and stuff True. like that. Um, yeah, I see so, um, Yeah, I, I copy and paste this whole huge article. I, I shrunk it down to... From I don't know how many pages to three pages, so it's my homework to read tonight. So <laughs> three I can page for fried chicken for fried yeah chicken. for fried chicken yeah. So um, wow, that's gonna be my 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 nighttime read tonight, so I can know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so when, so when is that class? It's tomorrow. It's Saturday. tomorrow. It's brunch for me. Oh, it's already done. Yeah, it's booked. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we can't wait to see it again. You're gonna do it again, right? I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. I don't like to commit to the same class again uh, until I know I can, uh, you know, make it successful. Sure. Uh, and of course, you know, if it is and it runs smoothly and uh, logistic wise, um, everything comes together nicely. Then either we change up a little bit and do it again. So just so I understand this correctly, what makes it Korean fried chicken yes. is the batter. Yeah, it's the batter and the crispy batter, thin, right. crispy batter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to dredge. Dredge. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what about the frying? The, usually you do either, you know, a whole chicken or breast or wings. Um, but uh, I was reading a lot more about it. What makes uh, Korean fried chicken, so, you know, like for us, fried chickens are either dinner or breakfast for some folks. But Korean fried chicken. I love chicken for dessert. Yeah. Thank so you. that's really interesting to me to see the culture on how they incorporate that Korean So that's not part of a meal? No. I was expecting like some beautiful kimchi and some. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's two different types of sauces. So you toss it with a sauce. Right. And what's uh, the rather sauce? Rather than a sauce on the side. So two types of sauces you can do. You can do a sweet savory sauce, which uh-huh. is like a soy base with mirin and ginger and stuff like that. Uh, similar to kind of teriyaki in a way. And another one is a spicier one, which is uh, gojujang, um, the Korean chili flakes. Still honey, still soy, still sweet and spicy and right. salty in that way. But it's really, so really So this is spicy. a dipping sauce, not a... No, this is a t- sauce you toss in with really? the wings. Oh. Yeah. So you fried it 
crispy. It's almost like buffalo wings in a way. So it's like crispy glass, crispy, yep. mm-hmm. and then you toss them into that mm-hmm. sauce. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. So it's very, very. Well, what sounds good is because it's not going to soak up no. the, the bread, the breading, because the. It's, the batter is actually yeah. crisp. Yeah, that's why it's like the, the, the batter is so crucial on this. It needs to be so thin and so, so crispy that it could withstand the, the sauce when you toss in there. That is that's, a distinguishing factor. Yeah. I know. That's really cool. That's very, very cool. I can't wait to try that. <laughs> I don't know. You can I just though. had a great fried chicken in, uh, <laughs> in uh, Santa Monica this week. And... Uh, there you uh, go. A fried chicken, rage. fried chicken sandwich, and I don't. I mean, I never eat fried chicken. Last yeah, time I had fried either. chicken was when Tom Douglas took me to KFC for the first time. I in know my that's life. like his favorite thing, <laughs> which is so ago. weird. I know he's like, oh, I just went to work out, and then I went and grabbed a Korean fried chicken sandwich. <laughs> Like, didn't you just cancel out everything you worked for or even gain more weight? That's why he goes to work out. Yeah. He, he doesn't want to just be behind. He wants to be. I know. Like, even. Yeah, I understand. Are you using that. all the parts of the chicken or just? So, um, you know, traditionally, you either just use the wings um, or they don't really like using white meat. It's usually dark meat. But I'm going to do both just so way, that way people can experience the white and the dark. Um, I'm doing thighs um, <clears throat> with skin and bones in, wings, drumsticks. So I did break down the whole chicken. And then I also did the breast without the skin just so that way, you know, it's funny. People are like, oh, you know, I want to be healthy. I'm only eating chicken breast but like in a fried form <laughs> i hate to tell you this but you're only like cutting down 50 50 calories weight watcher would not let you do that um but i mean i just still want uh like in like i said kenji's uh, article he was talking about um you know like white meat and uh, dark meat so he's like oh you know go with dark don't go with white and i want people to see that and right. uh you see know the difference no yeah. that's that's cool that's very yeah. educational yeah well thank you so much for teaching yeah. us about korean fried chicken you're I'm, welcome i'm excited and i can't wait to try that yeah all right thank coming you, up Harry. next we're going to be talking about couscous israeli yep. versus small couscous here you go on 97.3 fm Back in the kitchen of the Hostel Society Radio. We are in the Hotel Handra, 4th and Virginia, downtown, lively Seattle. I like to remind people when you sign up for a class here or the show, there's a link that takes you to a discount to stay at the hotel. Ooh, it's real pretty. A little staycation. So, a little staycation. So That's nice. Next time you come back, check in on Thursday night, get all cozy, eat at Lola, and then... Join us for breakfast. And come to the radio show upstairs. Yeah, and then Just right. And then have a nice class on Friday afternoon. <laughs> and then stay another night. Go to the market. Go to the market on Saturday. Walk to the waterfront. Walk to the waterfront. And then go home. Or nice. stay for dinner and then go home on Sunday. <laughs> Our next topic of conversation, Pam, you put Israeli couscous versus Moroccan couscous. Yes. And I know... Um, in your restaurants, you've always had very creative harissa-based or laced versions of couscous. And uh-huh. uh, we haven't talked about this in depth, so I, I didn't know if you were a fan of the more traditional small size or uh, I have just I've used both in my life. You have? 
for larger. different usage, different purposes, um, all the way up to. Um, so first, Israeli couscous are bigger bowl. Um, it almost looks like a big tapioca. If you know what tapioca grain looks like, couscous is a pasta. It's rolled. It's a, basically a dough, and it's rolled. It's hand rolled. It's hard to believe than those small grain, those small. It's not a grain. It's a it's a pasta, but. Those small little things are actually hand-rolled. They're put through a, a mesh that comes out round on the other side. That's how they do it now. But in the old days, it was hand-rolled. So good luck on that one. But um, the big couscous, the Israeli, what's called the Israeli couscous on the market, is uh, something I use for salads mostly. Uh, that's always the way my brain works in terms of stew or salad. And then the, the fine, the, the small uh, couscous, like the Moroccan uh, we call it Moroccan. It's not just Moroccan. All North African countries use it even more than just in Africa. But the small grain couscous, I use it mostly for garnishes on two dishes, uh, not so much as a salad, much more as a dish, as a side dish. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't take uh, a salad treatment because of its fineness and yeah, size. Yeah, it, it has a, tendence, a tendency to, to bulk, yeah. to stick together. So there are a few tricks. Number one, you know, often enough when you come home, you're like, oh, what am I going to make? Talking about diversification of diet. You come home and you say, oh, I don't have much time to cook. I'm just going to make some pasta. Now, you know how to make pasta. You've made it a million times. You boil some water and you cook some pasta and you have a base for dinner, right? Same thing with couscous. People don't think of couscous, but fine grain couscous takes no time to cook. You take some either vegetable stock, chicken stock, water, whatever liquid you want to use, the better the stock, the better the flavor, obviously, you're adding to your couscous. But you could even do tea. I've done tea in the past where you do a jasmine tea. That is brilliant. A ja- oh, thank you so much. Tea. I'll take that and I'll leave now. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, Using tea as your cooking hibiscus, hibiscus tea, for example. And then um, you bring it to a boil and you pour it over the couscous. You cover it up. In six minutes, you have a cooked couscous. The key from that is to take some olive oil, drizzle it and take a fork and fork out your couscous so it detaches from being a mass. Gently just fluff it. Basically it's fluffing your couscous. It really needs that. Don't be shy on the olive oil. It's your secret to just keep it fluffy. And then season it. You should have your seasoning on top of your couscous before you pour the liquid. But it takes, in 10 minutes you have cooked couscous. What I like to do on the side is to do all the ingredients are going to go into my couscous as a stew on the side. So the couscous is on the counter. It's going to take 10 minutes to, to be done, right? On the side, I have a saute pan, and I'm sauteing onions, mushroom, all kinds of things, tomatoes, whatever you want to put in there. Saffron. I love saffron and couscous. So if you put grains of saffron, um, what do you Very call it? Very elegant. It's not grains of saffron. What do you call those? Threads. Threads. Threads of saffron into your couscous. Um, and you use, for example, a, a vegetable stock or a chicken stock that's being brought to a boil, salt, pepper into your couscous, threads of saffron, and then you pour that over your um, couscous. And it's usually two to one is plenty enough. So two liquids, one solid. And then you fluff up the whole thing after 10 minutes and you get this wonderful saffron. That's a great way to use saffron because it flavors without, obviously don't put, you know, a pound of saffron in there. Saffron is very delicate and uh, very strong in flavor. So just put a few of those. And then you have this wonderful base. And then from that, you could have 
uh, carrots in the oven already roasting with a little bit of uh, honey and co- toasted coriander. And you could have sauteed on the, on the stove. You could have mushroom. You could have, like I said, zucchini, onions, whatever you want to do for vegetable on top of the stove. And then once everything is cooked, you take everything and you put it into your couscous. And you only use the amount of couscous that you want for that night and keep the rest for the next day. The next day, you can do something completely different. You could, uh, I mean, I've done couscous with cheese. I've done couscous with many different things. But it's an easy one to do. It's easy to warm it up. And it's easy to use. And that's a fine couscous. On the Israeli couscous, what I like to do is to just bring it to a boil, cook it. And hey. first, I toast it. Ah, Sorry. First, I put it on the sheet pan in the oven, toast it. Then I cook it. I think that makes a huge difference. Huge, huge difference. Toasting it. And um, bring it to a boil and then cool it off. And then I, now I have a base. And <clears throat> think of it as a pasta salad. Pasta salad in the way that you cook your pasta first and then they're cooled down, right? Same kind of principle in your head. Think of this as, now what am I going to do? So you could do cucumber, tomato, onions, olives, and then you toss the whole thing together with some fresh herbs, lots of fresh herbs, parsley, cilantro, little lemon juice, olive oil, and you've got this wonderful salad on your hand. It's a couscous salad. You bring that to any party, you're going to be a hit. We also have the end of the watermelon season. Wait a minute. Couscous and watermelon? Couscous, you're, watermelon, you're crazy. tomato, onions, feta. Well, like if a it's Greek got salad. feta in it, I'm in. Greek salad with... Couscous. Yeah. Ah. And then lots of tarragon, cilantro. <laughs> I think it's a theme today. Tarragon, tarragon, cilantro, parsley. No, I mean basil, all your herbs that you need to use now that are in your garden. I'm very much excited about the Bob's Red Mill couscous, sure. Israeli couscous. It's a wonderful product, and it's a guarantee that you're going to have a delicious dinner if you've got a bag of that in the pantry. And it's local. Bob's. Yeah. I mean, and employee-owned. Sure. Even better. But watermelon, you're throwing me there. Well, the watermelon is because uh, this weekend we're going to have a hot weekend. So probably the last hot weekend we're going to have. Good time to do this watermelon and melon and all those beautiful summer fruit that are refreshing and everything. Put that into your salad. Finish it up. Next week we'll be starting on pumpkins. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite yet, but you guys know what's coming up, right? We're going to be eating pumpkin for a while, butternut squash, till March. So uh, don't rush into it, but get rid of your watermelon and enjoy the tomatoes for the next few weeks. This is the perfect time of the year in Seattle to eat those local, fresh, ripe tomato. Can, frozen, do everything you can to keep as much as possible with you for the next few months because they taste really delicious on Thanksgiving. All right, coming up next, we have questions from our audience. All these people have put questions on pieces of paper, and uh, they're Pam, good ones. Pam is threatening to get rid of the trivia today, which please do call the hotline <laughs> if you have any crisis with that. Uh, <laughs> we have a hotline you can call. But we want, we're looking forward to your answers uh, to these seething questions. All right. Stay with us on Cairo 97.3 FM. It's a Hot of Society radio show. Back in the kitchen at the House of Society, we have a we have a segment that is 
I'm, I'm impressed. We have a member of the audience, all of them, wrote questions, questions on a piece of paper to ask me. Yes. And you. Yes. You. Or me. Yeah. Okay. Me only. Okay. All right. Shoot. Ready, set, go. Let's go. Dear beloved, most incredible chef. <laughs> right. Are you making I'm that not, up? No. Who I'm will die? I'm not trying to butter you up. Could you please, step by step, uh, tell how to make your liver pate? Since Luke is gone, I'm heartbroken and thinner, but more heartbroken. And any tips on the aspic would be appreciated as well. All right. So what, um, who's this? Mary Jo. Mary Jo. Thank you. What Mary Jo is mentioning is uh, at Luke, we used to serve a chicken liver mousse, and uh, we made it from day one. And the reason I made it was because that, to me, that was the epitome of a French cafe bistro. I was like, oh, we need to have a chicken liver mousse. You know, I know that some people go, oh, I can't eat that. But uh, just so you know, the recipe is very simple. Make sure you remember this. This is my grandmother's recipe. Never changed it. Very straightforward. Chicken liver... One pound of chicken, well, for me, you don't have to do one pound, but the bottom line is it's one pound of chicken liver raw, one pound of butter, salt, and that's it. We stop right there. So you take the raw liver, you put them in a food processor, you blend them, you have your butter that's melted but not hot, just just softened on liquid but not hot, as in no more than room temp. You pour that over the liver, you blend the whole thing together, you put it in a terrine mold. In a, in a mold, in a water bath, in the oven at 300 degrees. Your oven is preheated. 300 degrees, it takes 20 minutes to 30 minutes max to cook. But it depends how thick you have your terrine mold. 30 minutes, you know, you put a blade into the, the thing and you see when it's dry, that's cooked. And then you take it out. Oh, I'm sorry. You cover it up with aluminum foil and you tent it up. Do you know what that means? So you put an aluminum foil piece on top of your of your dish and you put a hole in the middle in the top and you move the foil up so it forms a tent. And the reason you do this is so all your water steam comes back on the side, not into the mold of the terrine. Because if you do it in the, don't do the tent, it will fall back in the center and you will never be able to cook your chicken liver because it will keep getting water on the bain-marie, on the water bath. Yeah, so you take a, a, a pan, a deep pan, Put water in it, put your mold in it with the, the chicken liver mousse in it. And then you tent it up with, I mean, you put a piece of foil tight. Then you take a blade in the middle and you gently lift up the foil. All it needs is a little lift up. So then the water falls back on the side. Did that make sense to everybody? They're ready to do it this weekend. Now we're moving on. The jolly that goes with it is very simple. Oh, yes. You take either a sweet wine, like a sauterne or something like this, or a port. Or you could even take, I mean, in this part of the world, right now we have currant. I just made some white currant, pickled white currant. You could use white pick, uh, currant. You could use grape. We have grapes coming up, especially if they're a little bit sour. Put grape and honey together. Bring it to, you know, juice it up. Bring it to a boil. Put two leaves of gelatins in there or a little bit of gelatin powder. Cool it down. It's going to be like a miroir, like a mirror. And then you pour it. As soon as it's cool enough, you don't want it to be hot because you don't want to melt the terrine. So your chicken liver mousse is already cold. You pour the jelly right on top. You know, it's a little level like this. And then you let it cool off. Put it in the fridge. It will be... And if you want to play around, you take some nice, beautiful leaf of tarragon. Or... 
pourquoi être ce film of the day? Why not? Let's keep going. Or, you know, parsley or whatever leaf you want. And you put them right on top of that gelatine and it will, of that uh, jelly and it will sink into it and it will be beautiful. So that with some nice crustini baguette on the side, you're home. Whew. Next. We enjoyed oh many years of eating at Luke. I would like to know how you made your burrata salad. The burrata cheese that I find in stores has a harder shell not found in your salad. And how did you prepare the nectarines? Because I have not been able to duplicate that wonderful salad. So the nectarines are grilled. So that's, oh. you take the nectarine, you quarter them, uh, or eight to a, to a nectarine. So cut it in half. Cut it in half, cut it in half again. And uh, you toss them with a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, and we grill them. We mark them on the grill. So it gives it a little char flavor, I guess. And um, that goes on the bottom of the plate. Arugula is, a, is another item that we used to put on there from time to time. And the burrata, the reason it's not uh, crusty on the outside is because we only use the inside. We use the outside to do something else. So it's actually pure cream. Soft and, as you know, burrata on the middle is like all soft. So we, didn't, we took the outside and used it for something different, for another dish. It was just a little cheating idea. It's like cream and peach, why not? <laughs> so that was as simple as that. And then the dressing, a little white vinegar and olive oil. So the white vinegar gives you a little hint, uh, a little zing into the salad. So it, the cream and the peach are very soft and they're also very sweet. So once you put a little white vinegar, it brings that little zing into that salad. And fresh herbs, drizzle on top, whatever you want to do. Basil. Uh, what's that other herb we've been talking about? <laughs> just, just kidding. Anise hyssop is one of my favorite herbs to use on that salad. We know. Huh? Well, I haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> Not today. Next, are you ready for the next one? Yes. I have a few pounds of frozen Hood Canal spot prawns. Oh, where? What, when are we coming over? I know. Uh, what would you suggest for a simple recipe that would enhance the sweet and subtle taste of the spot prawns? Oh, my God. There's a million ways to do spot prawns. I love spot prawns. Um, I probably would do a broth. Yes. So you probably have the heads on. Who's this? Do you have heads on? Not the heads. No But heads. you have the shell. They're in the shell. So, the so I, would do, I would take them out of the shell. I would throw them out. I would take them out of the shell, take the shell, make a quick stock, you know, just a little bit of, a little bit of white wine, mostly water, maybe a, a quarter of an onion, dice really small. You want to dice everything small because it's going to cook fast. Uh, maybe some bay leaf, a little thyme. Bring that to a boil. Cook, simmer it down for about 20 minutes, and that's it. Pile it through a, a fine sieve. So now you have a liquid to, to go with, and that's going to be your broth. Spot prawn are the most beautiful thing in the world, I think. Mm -hmm. They're so delicate. They're so tender. Cooking is not even... When I think spot prawn, I never think cooking because it takes about one, two, three. You know, and that's how you want to eat them. You want to keep them tender. You want to keep them soft or, or not... You don't want it to be a Michelin tire. You want it to be tender. So you don't want to overcook them. Um, but the broth is where it's going to be at. So I would take that broth and I would raise the seed down very slowly to about one-third of what you have in liquid, finish with a big nugget of butter, and then from there you can do, I mean, you could do grated ginger, you know, just put fresh grated ginger in there and keep it as simple as that. So now you have a ginger, shrimp kind of, kind of a butter sauce. It's, it's more like a broth, like a, you know, like a, a rich, silky sauce. And anyway, you take your, your spot, you bring that to a boil, 
you take you take it off the fire, you put your spot plant in there, in one minute you're done. Uh, I think it would. I, I think it would be a great combination. <laughs> Ginger and tarragon. Actually, they love each other. They're very good friends. Got roasted garlic, black garlic. You know, black garlic. You could use black garlic and puree that and into your broth at the last minute. That would also be a nice, beautiful flavor. I mean, caviar would be a topping of caviar. Topping a caviar on those pot prawns would be delicious too. And if you don't have caviar, you could do flying fish roll, tobiko, nice crunchiness. Ginger grated. You could even do pickled ginger in that broth. That would be so delicious. But the broth is where it's at. You get those shells, you got to get that flavor out of there. Don't put it in the garbage, please. Put it in the freezer. If you don't know what to do the day of, put it in a little bag in the freezer. Use it when you have time. But don't throw them away. It's too valuable. With your corn comps. Coming up next. Oh, we, oh is that yeah. it? Yeah, I think we're at the end of this, so we're going to keep going. Uh-oh. Coming up next, we're not doing trivia. We're just going to have more questions for Terry. Terry's brain. We're All doing right, Terry's here we go. brain next. Stay with us on Cairo 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen of the Hostel Society on Cairo 97.3 FM. I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And I must say, this has been fun in our segments to have all those questions from the audience. And we have so many more. You know, sometimes we have five people in here. Today we have 107. <laughs> and they're going to be here all weekend. <laughs> well, it's um, refreshing for me to hear what people want to hear. As the producer, I'm up, you know, late at night. Like, what? what is going to be interesting to our audience? But now we know. Yeah. Because we have these questions. So. Next question. Next question. Tom Douglas may poo-poo French culture, but we love it. If we are going to visit one region of France to explore their food, where do you recommend? I would go center of France. The audience member says, because... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So she said the, she loves rich food. And um, I would say the center of France is probably... There is, there is some rich... I mean, you go to the Dordogne area... And they have the duck confit, the magret, the foie gras. I mean, that's, uh, you know, they have, the, they have the rich food down there. That's definitely a place to visit. Provence is extremely diversified. The capital of gastronomy is Lyon. So if you have one city to do, go to Lyon. Why? What, what makes it the Just because she wants nice, traditional, rich. They do traditional, they do rich. And... Really emphasis on meat, like uh, charcuterie, daily, and stuff like that. And then bakery, and then... I mean, Lyon is definitely a place where you have very classic, rich food. Lyon and the area around Lyon. So I would recommend a trip to Lyon. That would be my first advice. And then from Lyon, you can just go down the Rhone Valley and end up in Provence. And I like uh, the Loire for all the cheese. Yeah, that's another trip. That is... Very, what I very want to cool. go back to again and again. And the chateau. Nothing like walking around with a, a goat cheese sandwich, a nice bottle of rosé, and watching a chateau. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do Hello, it. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> All right, sir. <clears throat> what is your favorite type of mushroom? In dry, I'm going to say the most versatile mushroom we have in the Pacific Northwest is probably the morel. And one thing that I do often, I've done many times, is um, lightly smoke my morel because, unfortunately, true morel in um, the next year fire 
you know, you have a fire one year. The best morels are usually the year after there's been a fire in an area. That's when you find the best morel with a nice light smoke and everything. But most of the time, to me, we find morels and they're not very smoky. And I like smokiness in morels. So I used to take, just burn some, some nice little wood in a perforated pan, uh, deep dish, and then cover it up after it was, the heat was gone, put my mushroom in there and leave them overnight. And the morel would pick up that flavor of like cold smoke. And to me, that's, it's a gorgeous mushroom. And from there, I would use fresh morel. And if there was some morel I couldn't get to, I had a big harvest, I would freeze, I would uh, um, dry the morel and then put them in seal bags. And then in the winter, there's nothing more attractive than taking a nice oxtail broth. Then you have strained and, you know, really clean broth and then drop in some dried morel in there. I'll tell you one thing, this is a great soup. You take that and then you make, you know, you could do, you could even add more sorted mushroom of the season if there is any around. But most importantly, you take root vegetable like caramelized turnips, uh, carrots, you know, in the, you're in the middle of winter, parsnip, mix like the whole thing together into a broth, into an oxtail broth, and then you put those morels in there. Of course, Perigord truffle in the middle of winter Whoa. is also some very fun guy to be around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I mean, truffle is obviously, but it's a, it's a specialty. But for us around here, morel, and of course, chanterelle right now, this time of the year in the fall, gorgeous mushroom. Gorgeous. Beautiful mushroom. But we're moving on. What magic uh, can you bring to chicken, and what is your favorite chicken recipe, please? Oh, very good. Okay, magic to mushroom, uh, to uh, chicken, pardon me. Um, well, the magic to chicken, I think, is high roasting. I'm a big fan of starting my chicken super high, you know, to give it a nice little crispy. But I like also to brine my chicken. Yes. I'm a big fan of brining my chicken for a few hours in a little water, some fresh herbs or uh, dry herbs, I should say, not fresh herbs. And uh, rinse off my chicken when it comes out, pat it super dry. And then on the inside, it's usually lemon, uh, bay leaf and thyme and salt. That's what I put into my chicken inside the chicken and then i roast it super high so i pat a little butter under the skin just because you can (laughs) why not and then you put it at 450 degrees in the oven and you give it that nice beautiful crispy skin and then you turn down the oven to about 400 and it takes about you know for a four pound chicken it takes about or three and a half pound chicken takes about 45 to 45 minutes to 55 minutes I go at 145, and then I take it out of the oven, and I let it sit. And it will give you this beautiful chicken, nice little citrus flavor on the inside, gorgeous crispy skin on the outside, and that's what I want in a chicken. If Tom were here, he would say, use your thermometer. Oh, yeah. Everybody needs an instant read, so you don't try it out. How many of you do not use your thermometer or don't have one? Oh, everybody's got one. I love this world. Next question. There are a couple uh, around restaurants. Uh, one enthusiast of Moto Pizza wants to know if you've been there yet. No, I have not yet. I heard, but I have not. Who's that? Who's... Where is it? It's in West Seattle. West Seattle is what the guest is saying. What is uh, tell us what is special about it. We, we have, have a, a strong We have a Seahawks fan who's talking about Moto. 
Apparently, the secret is the sourdough crust, uh, but it's it's so it's not an extra thick crust like Chicago style, but it's not thin either. It's kind of right in the middle, but there's a lot of love that goes into the crust, and it's so good you you could eat anything on it. All right, cool. I'm driving with Thank Seattle. You. Are you from Chicago? No, no, no. Because I, I lived in Chicago and I never understood why they call that a pizza. Never understood that. It's too much. Where I come from, we call that a gratin. <laughs> All right. Well, Moto in West Seattle. I definitely will try it. And do you have a restaurant tip now? Restaurant tip as People in? are asking for uh, restaurants that you're enjoying in Seattle now. Lately, my, uh, one of my favorite restaurants has been Vivian Bistro on Mercer Island. Uh, new Chinese cooking. I call and it I Chinese. went there because you recommended it, and it lived up to it spectacularly. Oh, I am so impressed. Seriously? Yes. You liked it? Yeah. Because I, I think got it's... that crab dish the, with this shell. Yeah. And, the, oh. and then the duck. They have and a the duck, duck with a caramelized lemon. <whistles> really delicious. A roasted duck. So Vivian Bistro on Mercer Island would be my probably, yeah, it's one of my, I mean, I've been to a few other restaurants, and I think it's another segment where we should elaborate on that. And because today we talked about Korean, um, we were talking about Korean bistro. Um, fried chicken, yeah. Fried chicken and Korean um, tradition festival. I had brought a piece of paper that had name of uh, Korean places. But uh, if you go on Aurora up north, there's a whole bunch of uh, Korean restaurants. If you haven't been, you owe it yourself. Take a trip out there and visit a few of those restaurants. They're really it's a good introduction to Korean food. We have to move on from tarragon okay. because we have an interest in what foods would be good to grill using sprigs of rosemary. You, you don't talk sprigs about Sprigs of rose- rosemary? Yes. Oh, I use it all the time. I have a lot of rosemary in my backyard. Um, any, anytime I roast vegetable, especially whole in the pan, like if I'm going to do a bunch of carrots or a bunch of turnips, or bun- especially as we're coming to the fall and winter, it's very common, like Thanksgiving is a giant roasting pan full of root, root vegetable with rosemary, olive oil, thyme. Those are my favorite herbs to use because they last in roasting and they give you beautiful flavor. The only thing with rosemary is just don't overdo it because it's very oily and it's very strong. So, but other than that, it's a beautiful herb to use in the wintertime for sure. Less in the summer because I have so many fresh herbs to use in the summer. And I focus on that. And let's finish up okay. with your uh, least favorite protein to cook and your most favorite. Well, I'd like to not, I'd like to <laughs> not stick to one protein, but seafood is definitely one of my favorite um, protein because we live in the Pacific Northwest. We have a bounty of it, and we also have it's right in our backyard. So it's even closer than any meat you can think of. We have all this ocean right here. So. I would go with seafood on that for the favorite. The least favorite, I don't, I don't know that I have a least favorite item to cook. Uh, I mean, I've always used the same analogy. If it's dead and you bring it to me, I will cook it. <laughs> All right. That sounds fair. That's very, that's very true. Uh, wrap it up. Bring us home. Bring us home. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community of YouTube Live at TomDouglas.com and company. Or you can buy a ticket and join us, like all these beautiful people here today, in the studio at thehotstuffsociety.com. You're listening to the Hot Stuff Society show on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pamela Inkley. Sean McFadden, our editor, is Sean DeTore.
Also, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stuff Society show on Cairo 97.3 FM, you can listen via podcast or just subscribe with your favorite app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. Woo!